0: Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon.
1: Welcome to the Self Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona, and I'm absolutely delighted that you've chosen to join us today. If we sound a little funny or a little off, it's because suddenly the cable is gone. We have no internet, no TV, and we do this show on the internet. So we're using a cell phone today. We may sound just a little bit different. So now, there's nothing wrong with your set. Uh, just settle back and relax and enjoy what we have coming because we have something really special for you today. I encourage you to go to the self-improvement blog and take a look at our guest picture, read his bio. Uh, you're going to want to know more about this person. Sometimes the universe has to hit me in the head with a baseball bat to get my attention. Uh, I'm sorry to have to admit that, but it's true. I've just come through a siege of what I call stuff that is now ending after two full months. It started with a little bit of back pain. Before I could get to the chiropractor, I developed shingles on top of the side of the back pain, and I was miserable. I wondered what was going on in my immune system. I'd never, ever hurt like that before before. And the brain fog was absolutely impenetrable. And just as I was beginning to feel better, I got a tiny bite from a dog at the dog park. It wasn't an attack, just two dogs playing too rough. One of them was mine, and I was in the way. It barely broke the skin. And I didn't pay any attention to it until a few hours later when I noticed that my hand was swelling and turning purple. I went to the doctor who cleaned it and ordered antibiotics. <clears throat> I became extremely toxic and exhausted and a little bit goofy and some of the people who know me would say I became a whole lot goofy um and that's their opinion I was no judge of it I'm all over that now and as I as I did throughout this time asked what I am supposed to learn from all of this Well, you know what? I think we'll find out today. While I've had the book Born to Heal for quite some time, I didn't pick it up to read it until this past weekend. I have a book almost every week, and so sometimes I don't get to it as quickly as I'd like to. But it has so many answers, and I felt feel so soothed after reading it, and we're going to talk to its author today. Luke Adler is a board-certified acupuncturist and Chinese herbalist and a diplomat of the National Certification Commission for Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, the highest level of national certification for Chinese medicine. He served a medical externship at UCLA Arthur Ashe Medical Clinic and practiced Chinese medicine and acupuncture in an integrated clinic in rural India, where he worked with allopathic doctors as well as Ayurvedic and homeopathic physicians. The founder of Luke Adler Healing Studies, he is trained in the practice of microcurrent positional techniques, which focuses on orthopedic pain and structural imbalance. He also developed a line of essential oil blends, Chinese herbs, and guided meditations. He is the author of Born to Heal, Heal Yourself and Heal the World, and I am delighted to welcome Luke Adler to the self-improvement show. Luke, welcome.
2: Thanks for having me, Irene. I'm really happy to to be here today. It's my pleasure.
1: And I I hope you didn't diagnose me while I was going through all that. I just thought it was so timely. I don't really share all my ills and aches with the public, but I thought today it was rather timely. And your book gave me so many really solid answers. Tell us about yourself. Who is Luke Adler?
2: That's a great. That's a great question. Um, you know, at the at the really the essence of who I am is someone who <clears throat> cherishes uh, his family um, and the idea of family, the idea of all human beings relating to each other as family. That's my highest vision for life: is that we could we could start to see one another as family and. But, you know, in families, sometimes we fight, sometimes there's difficulties, but we we work on, you know, coming back to a place of love and understanding. And um, <clears throat> inside of that idea is another kind of core feeling um, about me and how I see the world, and that's that um, all beings have a divine core within them, uh, a place where love, Cosmic love, universal love, emanates from their being, and in fact, is truly the essence of life, and keeps us alive. It's as if, it's as if you, if you took that away, what you'd have was just an inert, lifeless body that would just flop to the ground. It's like pulling the electrical outlet out of, uh, out of a machine, and that the, the thing that actually keeps us alive is that divine core of love and beauty. And it's that light that my life is in service to. And, um, you know, I see that in every person that I work with. And um, I guess the work part of it is, you know, seeing it and feeding it when we're tired or when we've been bitten by a dog or our back is hurting and
1: (laughs) to
2: come back to a place of of, uh, remembering who we are at our core.
1: Oh, and that, that was part of true. my problem. Yeah. There you go. Before I started reading the book, I was thinking about the title, Born to Heal. And I, and I usually, you know, try to get something from the title before I get into the book. And it, it really took on a number of different meanings. And I asked questions like, who is born to heal? And does that mean everybody? Does that mean heal themselves? Or does that mean heal others? So what does it mean? What does it mean? So, talk about the title a little bit and tell us what it means to you and what your intention was in titling it. Uh, heal yourself. Um, you know, born to heal, heal yourself, and heal the world.
2: Um, the intent. The intent of the title is that we're all born to heal. That it's innate. That it's automatic. Just like if you cut your skin and you watch it mend back together, it just happens automatically. But then there's this extra piece where if we start to become aware of this self-born mechanism of healing and start to learn to cooperate with it that we can help others learn that too so as we heal ourselves and heal these places of, of woundedness inside then we can <clears throat> we can um, help the world heal and turn out of that refreshed perspective and re- refreshed point of view we begin to see a world that that is imbued with, um, with that light and with that love that we, we move closer into. So, um,
1: and we're going to talk, talk about more these. about that right now. It's time for us to go to break. This is my, this is Irene Conlon with Luke Adler saying stay tuned. We'll be right
3: back with more. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
4: How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment.
3: When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment.
1: Welcome back to the Self Improvement Show. This is Irene Common with my guest, Luke Adams, who's written a wonderful book called "Born to Heal: Heal Yourself, Heal the World." Um, Luke, you practice Chinese medicine. Talk a little bit about Chinese medicine and how it's different from Western medicine.
2: Well, I think the biggest the biggest difference that um, is inherent between the two. Is you have a system in Western medicine that is for the most part focused on the physical body, and um, you know there's there's the realm of psychology and psychiatry. So there's a there's a kind of a place for the mind and the emotions. The Chinese medicine has has those kind of planes of treatment um, within itself, and then it has this this fourth level, which is the level of the spirit, the level of the soul. And um, it's really the really at the heart and essence of born to heal. This message that when we ignore the voice of the soul, or the language I use is when we ignore the voice of the heart, we begin to sow the seeds of dis-ease or imbalance. And so, um, there's really not a place in Western medicine where we talk about um, the spirit and the soul. It's like we kind of keep church and state separate in a certain sense. And in um, and Chinese medicine, they're, they're all interlinked. They're really all kind of one, one and the same. Um, and that's you know why I chose to pursue Chinese medicine and not Western medicine. I mean, I, I still had to learn Western medicine as part of my training, but um, within my within my worldview, Chinese medicine was
1: you know a perfect fit. When I was a student in nursing, way back a long time ago in in Um, the surgical rotation, often the doctors would, you know, try to get us to show them where the soul was when they had a person open on the, on the operating room table. Where's the soul? Do you see one? And it shocked me then and it shocks me now if any of them are still doing that. I would think Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine are very similar. Are there differences, big differences there?
2: I mean, the differences are mostly cultural, you know, within within the kind of cultural milieus.
1: And they both uh, have, uh, recognize an energy system, which right. basically Western medicine doesn't do either, do they? I haven't no. caught them at.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think you're, you know, the the example of the surgeon you know, opening up the body and where the soul is, it, it really shows the entire worldview of. of Western science is like show it to me, prove it to me, and you know the the eastern view is like well you can see the soul, you can feel the soul, you just can't see it with your eyes, and you can't feel it with your hands, and you can't hear it with your ears. It it's enacted by the inner organ of consciousness, which has to be developed, just like any other organ is kind of taken care of. And if you if you develop your consciousness in a way, you can perceive the soul. And you can feel the soul and you can see its impact. And if you don't, you know, it's like not working out. You're not gonna get stronger if you don't go to the gym. So it's it's pretty simple. It's not mysterious. It's not a um woo-woo thing. It's you know, whatever you put your consciousness on grows and you know, it's a perfect example. You're not gonna see the soul if you're
1: looking No, at I think we're coming to a you know, a, as a as a people, I think we're beginning to come more in contact with the fact that we have a soul, um, that there's a spiritual part of us. And I think more yeah. people are coming into awareness of how incredibly important that part of us is and how we need to incorporate it into everything. And it's yeah. basically, who we are. Uh, so, what led you to write this book? This is a remarkable book. And, you know, it had to have taken you a good bit of time. To do this, tell us about writing the book. Why you chose to do it, uh, and yeah, what's something you benefit the most from reading it.
2: Yeah, that's. A, um, thank you for asking that question. Um, the book for me is an expression of all of the systems that I have that have helped me evolve and learn and heal, and I wanted to put them all in one place that I could use to reference, and I wanted to tell my story in a concise enough way to give people an idea of who I am and, you know, how I view healing and spirituality and love and how they're intrinsic to our experience, whether we're aware of them or not as human beings. Um, And, I mean, at the core, I really wrote the book to help people um, to spark in them their own... Their own search and their own discovery of who they are, because when I started to have these awakening experiences at thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years old, into into my kind of divine essence, if you will, um, I was so overwhelmed with this experience of love and healing that I knew at that age, at fifteen years old, that I had that my, that my life was about. Um creating environments for people to begin to know that that's who they are, and you know what I found when I looked around at fifteen sixteen years old is that m- most people don't know who they are. they're kind of mired at the surface level of like things and and you know status and pain and suffering and and then, like you said, there's this growing population of people that are are waking up and tuning into who they are. So the book is really born within the spirit of we're all here discovering who we are and discovering this essence of love and power within us. And um the book, from what I've heard so far, people have said that, you know, it's helped open some inner spaces for them and in lots of different ways, practical ways and spiritual ways. And um it's been really exciting to hear people's feedback about it and I I think it's an
1: exciting book. I mean, it really helped me put in place my last two months. Yeah. Um, It it truly did. One of the things that I was so taken by in in your story was your father. How blessed you were to have a father who was there, who was kind of nudging you forward to develop who you are. Uh, And you're one of the few guests that I've had who had a father who could help them through some of the things that you meet along life's way. Most of the fathers are involved in their own business or what have you, and really are not aware of what's going on in their son. Right. So, yeah, I, I found that just lovely. You say say this in your book, when in doubt choose love, you can't go wrong. And in your book summary that I received, you said this, and this is very striking to me, until you discover the wellspring of love within, you will endlessly seek love from the outside world. You were born to heal. The power to heal and feel whole resides within you. Let's talk about the wellspring of love within and how people go about finding it, discovering it, meeting it.
2: My favorite topic.
1: (laughs) I thought it might be. Mine too.
2: Yeah. Well, um, you know, again, I want to demystify and take away any superstition around... Around love and healing and miracles, in my experience and in my um, practice, the growth of my healing and spiritual development has happened because i've <clears throat> I've done my half of of the work, which is i've I've meditated um, I've studied uh, different teachings I've looked at the pains in my life. And you mentioned my father. He's someone who helped me look at my insecurity and my doubt and my shame and my guilt and shine light on it and work through it and breathe through it. Um, and I've been blessed to have parents who've supported me to face my fears rather than, you know, discourage me and, and kind of encourage me to play small. They've encouraged me to play big with my life uh, around what I'm passionate about. And, um, to so know the core of love within requires two things. One is self effort, and that's meditating, that's self inquiry, looking at ourselves, um, and self love and self expression. And then the other is grace. And these are like the two major teachings of kind of the Eastern um, kind of pantheon of teachings that. We can't do it alone, but if we apply no effort, if we're not open, if we're not willing, then we can't necessarily receive grace. And that grace, grace we could say, is always, always present. It's always descending or ascending or moving in from all sides. But then there's the grace of the seeker, the student, and that it takes our grace. We have to be willing to open up and to have a certain hunger or fervor to um, stretch ourselves and to expand, and that if our longing is strong enough, then the grace of the universe can't resist supporting us. So, whether you call it Jesus or, or God or love or Krishna or Buddha is it's really a personal choice. But to speak about it kind of more universally, grace is this energy that helps us move past things that our mind just can't comprehend and truly doesn't necessarily need to comprehend for things to grow and to heal, and that the mind can kind of catch up at a later date if we're really willing to open. And um, and you know, similarly, I know people who have done lots of meditation and and study and they haven't had uh, really an experience of opening and healing because they themselves have been reluctant to trust in this kind of power that's greater than, you know, their individual minds. So, that's the conversation in a nutshell, and I can get into any one of those pieces in greater detail. And we're going to do
1: that as soon as we take a break. This is Irene Connell with my guest, Luke Adler, saying stay tuned. We're going to talk more about love when we come back, so don't go away.
0: Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
3: Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power.
4: Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Friend
0: us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon.
1: We've been talking about love, and the question I have is with all the emphasis that we have in our Western culture on the media and what they show us about love, you now, what's the difference between what we think of as love or human love? And this healing love that you're talking about, Luke. Well,
2: I think the the, the big distinction that I make with Born to Heal and <clears throat> some of the work that's coming out of Born to Heal is that when we think about love, we think about it as this autonomous thing that I love my mom, I love my wife, I love my daughter. And within that love, um, you know, that might be distinct from saying... Uh, I'm angry and I'm upset, and um, there's almost this exclusivity to say, if I'm angry, I can't also have love. I can't have this experience of love. If I'm shameful, that love is not present. If I'm guilty, that um, I can't also have love. And so my view of love, in it's really most practical sense, is to say love is a field of energy that's accepting, that's embracing, that is... Um, caring, that is tender, that even can sometimes be very fierce and and kind of tumultuous, and that love can also be present amidst these other experiences of uh, life, shame, guilt, rage, hate, that we can feel these extreme emotions and that that doesn't mean that love is gone or love is missing, and um, that love can kind of have this ground of foundation to every part of our lives. And what that means practically is that when we're in the midst of grief um, or anger, that um, it doesn't mean that we don't love the people that we might be feeling these things about or towards, and um, that we we can choose to have an outlook about any arena of life where love is just intrinsic to it. It's not this thing that is conditional and um, when we think of human love, sometimes we think human love is conditional, but divine love is unconditional. And my view is that love is unconditional. It, it is not bound by condition. It is not limited by anything. And that that is the only kind of love, that anything else is is it's really not love. It's um, imitating love in some way. And so if we have places in our lives where we think that you know, in order to be loved by my partner or, or in order to have uh, enough money, I need to prove something, then we'd be placing a certain condition on what can show up in our lives. And what I'm saying is, there's just no limit to what we can have in any arena of life. If we're willing to open to the power of love that's there and that's around us, and we're willing to consciously choose it. That is to say, wow, I'm feeling really angry. I'm feeling really sad. And at the same time, I feel appreciation. I feel gratitude. Like, the, these things can coexist. Um, so that's my initial thought on it. And um,
1: well, How do you tap into this love in a way that brings about healing? Now, I know these things. I think I am pretty tuned in and all that, but I did not overcome my own Stuff. How, and and I, I guess for me, this is a really practical question. How do I sustain or how do I tap into this love on a consistent enough basis? Is consistency important here uh, to be able to heal? And, and does this mean that if I can stay in that place, I will not have disease or illness?
2: You're you're <laughs> you're asking me. Uh... <laughs> The million-dollar question there. Um, so there's a few, yeah, there's a few questions in, in your statement there. Um, I think I'll start with the last one, and that's that if you love yourself, if you have this experience, if you can sustain a certain experience of connection to your essence, you know, will that mitigate disease? And the answer is no, um, because sometimes disease, I mean, often disease is, the framework or the um, the mechanism that's delivering our life lessons. So,
1: some of the biggest lessons come there. Yeah, from them.
2: the the lesson might be to endure the disease. The lesson might be to die from the disease, and so we have to kind of start to even talk about death and break down these topics and say, you know, none of these things are bad. There's nothing wrong with being ill. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with your body or something's broken. There's from the point of view of the soul who's here to learn and evolve, the body's serving as this as this feedback mechanism to say, hey, let's look at this arena. Can we become present in this arena and and be willing to feel and be willing to have compassion for ourselves? Which might mean it's a pretty miserable experience. But it's an experience that's causing growth and wholeness as opposed to an experience where I really hate this experience, please make it go away. I just don't want to feel what i'm feeling give me some give me something to distract me from my pain, and therefore we never learn because we never we never endure the lesson that is there and I'm not saying that all lessons are like suffering and and terrible, but some of them are you know. Like we're all gonna we're all gonna experience these really difficult things we're gonna lose people we love, and that's not necessarily a very enjoyable experience, but it's pretty much guaranteed to happen and you know how do we heal from that? How do we feel whole from that and part of it is endurance enduring it, and part of it is doing things to help move us along so meditation, breath work, acupuncture, essential oils, herbs massage, chiropractor, um, talking to a friend, um, expressing ourselves is a, is a major component that I've um, integrated into my work, that if we don't share what we're going through, if we keep it to ourselves, if we hide these inner experiences, whether they're um, painful or beautiful, that we... It's almost as if they, they don't even happen, like we're closeted mystics, Um. And there's something about sharing who we are with other people that is very healing. And that's part of the reason why I wrote Born to Heal is for my my own healing and self-expression, that I'm not, like, just, you know, doing this work in my life in this small town and no one knows about it, and I'm just kind of shriveling into this lack of light, you know, so expressing ourselves and sharing it in this way of um, supporting other people to open up and, so those are some thoughts. Those
1: and some thoughts. and we, by and large, have not been taught or sometimes allowed to express our emotions, whether they're negative or positive. You have a lot of exercises in the book. Let's skip it. And I find them really fascinating. I find them fascinating. I find them helpful. But the one that got my attention asked this question. It really hit me. Am I having any fun? And <laughs> I'm thinking, Am I having any fun? Well you know what? I've gotten really serious in the last couple of years and haven't really taken too much time for fun and I'm thinking, Wow, that's a that's a huge one for me. Why is fun so important? I mean it's right in the beginning here. We just having fun.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's right there in the beginning. Um, you yeah. know, if you're taking it too seriously, there's not a there's not a lot of space for play and delight and um you know I've I've lost uh, some really dear people in my life, and so I feel how precious it is. And I, you know, I don't want to miss a moment of feeling grateful for it. And um, uh, having fun uh, is—it's just so—it's so fleeting. It's so brief. It's so uh,
1: yeah. It, you, know, you know, I need to pay attention and pay and enjoy even just everything you do. Is fun actually. I'm having fun right now. Even if yeah, down, too. I'm having fun right now. But it was such yeah. a great question for me. One of the yeah. things you talk about, and I think, is really important. And if we don't have time to go into this, I really want people to get this book and read about the sequence of separation. Talk just briefly about the sequence of separation and its importance.
2: I mean, just in a in a quick nutshell, I. Um... I took took this ancient teaching in Chinese medicine and studied it in my own life and saw that there's a sequence to how we feel separate and manifests physically, how we feel separate from our divinity, from our happiness, and that it manifests emotionally and manifests in terms of physical symptoms, and that we can actually trace our separation by our symptomology and begin to see where we tend to get stuck um in our lives that keeps us feeling separate from our divine core. And I think this is a major contribution from Chinese medicine. Um and it's very simple. It's a very simple idea. But once you become aware of your own pattern, you go, Oh, I'm I'm doing it again. I'm doing this thing that makes me feel lonely and separate and cut off. And I don't think I'm gonna do it anymore. I think I'm gonna choose something different.
1: Yeah, I found that very interesting and and how you know what the different organs mean and and how they're affected what manifests um just really interesting reading, especially if you've yeah. got some kind of chronic illness, this would be a really good study. Talk about suppressed emotions and what that does to us
2: it's really the it's really the onset you know you, you it's the onset of disease when when my view is that any Any chronic illness uh, or even acute illness can be traced back to a moment of unconsciousness, to a moment of I was feeling something, I was feeling anger, and I didn't want to feel it. So instead, I detached from my body. I just became indifferent. And that secondary reaction of becoming indifferent or, or dismissive to our own. Feeling, actually put that feeling on hold. So what that looks like physiologically is the body has the lymph system, the joints, part of the cellular system that's built to put disease into a dormant state, so that we don't get sick, and we we can kind of store things, and then the lymph can process it, and then we can eliminate it, and you know, um, not express this. Bacteria, or virus, or microbe, or whatever
1: it is. I but sometimes if we, wonder if we work so hard in this country and that we 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 work harder than any place on the planet. Are we doing that because we don't want to feel what we feel?
2: <laughs> I mean, I couldn't have said it better than you. Um, <laughs> yeah, the epi- the epidemic of extreme fatigue that. Um, that this country faces, I, I think in Japan there's a word for it's this syndrome that people die from because they work so hard in Japan that people just die from exhaustion. They find people dead on the on the subways. Not lots of people, but some people. Uh, I'm not going to get the term right, um, but um, you know, there's this Western culture, these values of working so hard, and you know, what are we really doing? We're working. We don't even have the energy to feel let alone be intuitive and trust our hearts. So, um, you know, I'm I'm paying particular attention to my own life as I step out with this work to go, okay, I don't want to get overbooked. I don't want to have too much time away from my family because my priority is to my family and to feel and to enjoy and that if this work's not fun for me, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) I'm going to stop doing it. Um, because I want to enjoy it. I don't want to be at the. I don't want to be at the end of my life and go, "Wow, I saved a bunch of money, and uh, now I have a chronic disease. And how much more time am I going to have to enjoy it? Do I even have the health to enjoy it?" So, um, you know, I'm working. I'm working a little bit less, and maybe I'll work till I'm 75. I don't know. I'll, I mean, I'll probably work until I die, just because I love. I love doing this kind of work, so.
1: And that's the that's difference in having to grind out a nine-to-five or a nine-to-whatever and hate right. every minute of it. And you, you have to wonder what those people are going to be experiencing in their bodies down the road. You say I mean, this. Yeah. Um, ultimately, to create lasting change in health, you must examine the underlying pattern of disease which almost always boils down to some form of fear. That's a big statement.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, underneath underneath um, worry, <clears throat> underneath anger, underneath sadness, underneath anxiety is fear. And the nature of fear is that it's it's kind of numbing, so we don't always feel what we're feeling because we can't feel it. So to get to the place where we can actually face the fear can sometimes look like sadness, anger, and worry. And then when we're thought out enough, we can see, wow, I'm really afraid to look at that I'm unhappy in my job or that I'm afraid to die or that I am ready to marry this person. But I've been so scared to say yes or divorce this person. You know, and it takes time to face our fears, and like all of the major feelings, they all have a beginning, a middle, and an end. So the thing about fear is, we feel like it's going to kill us. It's going to like just stop our lives. And the truth is, is that it's not. There's a, there's a beginning of the emotion. There's a middle of it, and then there's the end of it. And once we're through it then it's gone. It's done until it comes back again. Um, And and it will come back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, fear is a great great indicator for growth. It's like, oh, there's the fear. Okay, I must have something that I'm, you know, a big thing I'm about to learn, you know. And if we can learn to be more playful with fear, um, then, you know, it doesn't have to be such a terrifying experience to grow and heal.
1: You also say, um, disease is born when you ignore the voice of your heart. Doubting your intuition is the root of all disease. What Mm -hmm. does your intuition tell you about healing and your own physical well-being? What can you tell me?
2: It's the sweet spot of our awareness, that there's a sense of, um... I even down to the most practical thing, like, ooh, I want to I eat this, you know, salad and, and a uh, piece of chicken. And the next day, maybe it's like, you know what, I'm feeling really good. I want to have a burger and french fries. And, um, you know, there's the energy to do that. Or, I think I'm going to take this job. Or, maybe I'll take a left rather than a right and avoid an accident. Um, so, intuition is, is the, uh, is the, is the knowledgeable aspect or the intellectual aspect, if you will, of the heart? So it's to say that the heart has its own brain. And in fact, in Chinese medicine, one of the translations of of the brain is the heart or the mind. Um, it's kind of a curious thing. And what Chinese the Chinese kind of scholars are saying is that the heart is the superior organ of intelligence. You have the brain, you have the thinking brain, but it's, it's secondary to the heart. And um, if we're not allowing the heart to lead and instead allowing the intellectual thinking brain to lead, then we begin to, to cast doubt or suppress this seat of knowledge in the heart and that the heart has this way of knowing things directly by perception and experience so that it doesn't need to think through things per se. It's not that it doesn't benefit from thought and plan. And it does, and it utilizes those tools. But the heart itself does not require proof to know something. It doesn't need someone to say, hey, look at this study. Now you should meditate. It just goes, hmm, yeah, I'm going to do this. This sounds right. This feels right to me. And that's, that's one of the core messages of Born to Heal.
1: And you sometimes we get a little inkling we have a knowing that something's wrong. we may mm-hmm. not see a symptom yet or be aware of it, but we have a feeling that something's wrong, and we ignore it because we think, "Oh well, you know, there's nothing wrong with me and then it comes back and bites us. We're right to exactly. the end of the show, Luke. What's the thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today?
2: Well, we talked about so many beautiful things, but my, my parting thought is that no matter what you're going through, um, to stick with it and not give up, to believe in love, even if you're not feeling it, even if it doesn't seem real or realistic to you, even if what I'm saying seems kind of really out there and woo-woo, um, to just allow some part of your being to be open to this notion that there's a love that's holding you up and your life up and that even if you don't understand it, just having a willingness to believe in love and that it can heal and change any arena of our lives, um, and even if that just means accepting how our lives are, is possible. So, um, all of my... Yeah. Thank (laughs) Thank
1: you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. This is Irene Conlon and my guest Luke Atmer saying thank you for being with us today. Come back next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show.
0: Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there... Starts in here.